Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Digital Engagement, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy to be here. Can't believe it's already June 8th. What? 2021. We are here and doing well. This is Changing the Game with Digital Engagement Radio. You may remember, longtime listeners, it used to be social selling, then it was digital selling, and now the word is digital engagement. So we have morphed and grown over the years. Let me tell you what we're talking about today. This is a topic I promise will be near and dear to everybody listening around the world. I have a quote from a character named Owen, played by Chris Platt, I'm sorry, Chris Pratt, in the 2015 action sci-fi movie, Jurassic World. Who hasn't seen that? And here's the quote. That thing out there, that is no dinosaur. Well, is it possible they were talking about email marketing and email marketing strategy? That's actually a commentary and a quote from an article in Mashable.com. So let me give you a little history. It may shock and amaze some of you and others will say, oh, Bonnie, I know that already. 50 years ago in 1971, can anybody do the math? 1971 was 50 years ago. Pioneering American computer programmer Ray Tomlinson, remember that name, implemented the first email program. The system was called A-R-P-A-N-E-T. I'm assuming it was ARPANET. Maybe it was pronounced differently, but that's how it's spelled. It was the precursor to what we know as the internet, the World Wide Web. It was the first system able to send email between users on different hosts connected to the ARPANET system. Now, the first business marketing email blast, I don't know who figured this out was sent in 1978, seven short years later. And companies today are still using business email. Oh my goodness gracious. So look, we're emerging from a pandemic. Every business had to undergo some kind of a digital transformation to keep alive, to stay thriving. We're wondering if this form of communication, email marketing is antiquated or is it the backbone of how we entice? This is what you want to do. You want to attract, you want to entice, you want to engage, and you want to convert prospects into customers. Or is it something in between? Does email fit into the modern buyer's journey? Are they tired of it? They're ignoring your subject lines. Are they ever responding? Are they putting it all into spam? What's working? What's not working? What might the future of email marketing be like? I have a panel of three people who have a very strong POV, point of view, and expertise on this topic. We have Neil Schaffer. Neil, am I pronouncing that right? It's Schaefer, but that's okay. Schaefer, I, I want to make sure. I should have asked you before the show. Neil Schaefer, S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. There we got it right at PDCA Social. So happy to have you here, Neil. We have Lindsay Miles, and she's using her middle initial, and it's D just like mine. So Lindsay D. Miles at Emory University. Welcome, Lindsay. Hope you're well today. And we have Ashley Melendez at SAP. Hello, Ashley. You can all wave. We are recording this on Zoom. And I'm going to ask them for their take. Very clever title to our episode today, Email Marketing digital dinosaur or business backbone. So welcome, 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 Bonnie in the house. Happy to be here. We have a special shout out to Kirsten Boyleau at SAP, who's the longtime sponsor of this series. What year are we in? We're in season seven, seven years. And we have a special hello to a young lady named Sylvie Lexo. She's going to be working with Kirsten and me on the shows going forward. She's the new showrunner. So let's get this party started. Neil Schaefer, 
I've got it right now, Neil Schaefer. Would you do me the honor, please, of introducing yourself to our audience? They're listening from all over the world, either live today or on demand soon after. Neil, what do you do? What brings you to this topic? And what's your passion for talking about email marketing? Welcome, Neil. Hey, thanks for the uh, thanks for the warm welcome. My name is Neil Schaefer. I am a what you would consider fractional CMO, marketing consultant. You know, uh, digital marketing is something I've been doing for the last decade. I've written books, I speak on it, consult, uh, teach at a few universities, including Rutgers Business School. And really, it's the pandemic that brought me a little bit closer to email marketing, as I'm sure it did many companies. Uh, I actually published a book on influencer marketing in March of 2020, perfect timing, called The Age of Influence. And a lot of companies were reaching out to me for help with influencer marketing. But when we took a step back, I realized that there were certain things in their backbone that they should have in place for digital marketing that they didn't. And a lot of them just either were ignoring email marketing or really didn't see the value in it. And that's what got me really over the last you know 18 months, something I've been doing for more than a decade, but really the last 18 months as a response to coronavirus, really uh, revaluing its presence as what I believe to be the backbone of how marketing communication should be. So we have a backbone proponent here for email marketing. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Neil Schaefer. Pleasure to have you on. I'd love to get a copy of your latest book. I, I'm a voracious reader on things like that. So we'll talk after the show. Let's go to our second guest. We have Lindsay D. Miles at Emory. Lindsay, welcome. Would you please do me the honor as well of introducing yourself? What do you do? Why are you here? And what's your take on digital dinosaur business backbone? Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Um, so I am the Senior Director of, Mar of Marketing and Digital Strategy at Emory University. Um, and I've really cut my teeth in higher ed and nonprofit work. Um, I think that there's a lot to learn from private business as we sit in the nonprofit and higher education sectors. Um, and I think with email marketing, we have been using it as a means for communications with one another rather than leveraging it for our, for our constituents and our audiences. Um, and I really think the challenge that we have is, you know, the adage is, is that higher ed is nonprofits are 10 years behind private business and higher ed is 10 years behind that. So we do have some barriers that we need to overcome. But I think the way that we are using it is a dinosaur. But I do think that it can be a backbone of, of what our communication strategy is if people embrace it in a much different way. So we have a hybrid POV here. It's being used in a dinosaur way, but it can be the backbone. Very interesting. Ashley Melendez, you're up next. So happy to have you here, our person from SAP today. And Ashley, I'm going to ask you, introduce yourself, please. What's your passion for the topic? And if you'd like to take a stand, which side of that fence are you on? Ashley, welcome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for the warm welcome. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Melendez, and I work as a digital campaign manager at SAP. My role includes working on our global syndicated marketing team, supporting the Success Factors line of business. And I work very closely with our nurture and qualification teams on various email marketing projects. Um, and prior to joining SAP, I worked as a marketing automation consultant, and I helped businesses meet their technical needs with the implementation and configuration of marketing automation technology and CRM software. I also have um, a degree in communication studies from Simon Fraser University. So I think together I'm very passionate um, about email marketing as a means to really tell a brand's story um, and to really grow engagement uh, and conversion rates. And I absolutely think that it is a backbone to business and it is very uh, essential, especially now as 
um, our world has sort of shifted to, to be significantly more digital uh, in the past year. Uh, so I'm very excited to be diving into our topic with my fellow panelists. Thank you very much, Ashley. Wonderful panel. I'm enjoying getting to know all of you. So thank you so much for being here. Now is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me in advance a quote from a movie, a song, a TV character that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And they're going to tell us in their own words how they think it does relate to the topic. This is interesting because we get to hear you talk and think outside of the box, if you will. And, and I believe it resonates with our global listeners. I will do a disclaimer here. We used to accept quotes from Winston Churchill and Mark Twain and Maya Angelou and JFK and Darwin, who never said what you thought he said, book quotes. And after a while, I thought, okay, put me to sleep. That's really fun. But let's go to movies and songs and people wake up. And Neil Schaefer, you have done what I was hoping you would do. You've picked a very interesting quote from somebody who's never been quoted on this show before. And the quote Neil has picked is the 1978 song cover by Elvis Costello and the Attractions. And it was included on their 1979 album called Armed Forces. And the title of the song is the quote Neil is bringing us today. And in parentheses, what's so funny about, in parentheses, peace, love, and understanding, question mark. Neil, what does this have to do with our topic? Can't wait for this one. Go ahead. Okay, Bonnie D, a disclaimer to everybody listening. Obviously, in you know the pre-show, questions about email marketing. Hey, Neil, give us a quote. I had no idea that I was going to be asked how this related because originally it didn't. But as I dug deeper and I took the challenge that Bonnie D gave me, I you know I think on two different levels that we can draw some analogies here. So the first is that Elvis Costello, for those of you that don't know, part of sort of this new wave scene that came out of England late 1970s, and his nickname was the Angry Young Man. He was always perceived as being you know angry, uh, mad at society, what have you. And then he has this song, his third album, Stolen's Prime, Early Days, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. And I, I think it's this analogy of being misunderstood. And I believe that Elvis Costello was very much misunderstood at the time. And maybe that's why he write, wrote the song. But I do believe that email marketing is also misunderstood as being this dinosaur when it's one of the, the few things that digitally we do every day. There are people that's still the first thing they look at is their in-mail, right? For others, the social media, I get it. And and therefore, it is sort of misunderstood. But another you know, analogy I'd like to draw here is if I go through the lyrics, as I walk through this wicked world, searching for light in the darkness and insanity, I ask myself, is all hope lost? Is there only pain and hatred and misery? And each time I feel like this inside, there's one thing I want to know. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? So I also think in this way, and I know I'm, I might be stretching a little bit here, but mm -hmm. it's one of these things that as marketers, we're always looking at where is the ROI? Where is the impact? And we always look for the shiny new object. Mm -hmm. Hey, should I be on Clubhouse? Hey, what about TikTok? When we have something like email marketing, and there's some really compelling data and statistics out there that show that day in and day out, even though it's not being talked about, it's not you know the, the sexiest person in the room, it does drive that value. So what's so funny about talking about and investing in email marketing is my question for all of you today. Thank you very much. That was very eloquent 
and even elegant, I might say, Neil Schaefer. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful answer. Let's go around the table. Lindsay D. Miles has sent us an equally interesting quote. This is from a scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller played by Matthew Broderick. The movie is a 1986. It's considered a teen comedy film, but has actually become quite iconic. And it's already in the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, or all three. The scene has Sloan, played by the actress Mia Sara, and she asks, what are we going to do? And Ferris, played by Matthew Broderick, and here's the quote Lindsay has selected, says, the question isn't, what are we going to do? The question is, what aren't we going to do? Oh, this may become one of my new favorites. Lindsay, talk to me. How'd you find this one? Yeah, so um, I love Ferris Bueller. I think that the movie just celebrated 35 years um, this last week. So I, it was just kind of part of my mindset and we watch it all the time. And, you know, perhaps it's because I'm an internal pessimist. I like to say realist, not pessimist, but I think we focus a lot um, on what should email accomplish instead of what should it not do. So um, I think that is as strong of a guiding star as what you want to accomplish. And I think sometimes we focus on the things and our goals ahead instead of also stopping and considering what are the barriers to entry, whether that is with lead gen, whether that's with conversion, whatever our business strategies are. So I want to take a step back and just, you know, pose the question to, to everyone when we're working on strategies, what are we not going to do? Sometimes that helps us determine better what we will and can do. Thank you very much. Also a very thoughtful answer. And I've had, we've had a lot of quotes from Ferris Bueller's Day Off on various of my Game Changers radio shows. This is a first for that one. And thank you for letting me set the scene up. I appreciate that. Uh, very iconic movie. And I just don't know why it says teen comedy. It just res- doesn't it resonate taking the day off, doing things, still stealing a car and going out and saying, how, do we go- how are we going to see the world a little bit differently today when we're playing hooky? And who doesn't want to do that in real life these days? I think we we all do at some point. Thank you very much. And we have a beautiful quote Ashley Melendez has selected from the character Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh by A.A. A. Milne. Because I want movie and song quotes, I decided to reference this to Winnie the Pooh, the 2011 American animated musical comedy film, rather than just saying it was in the book, produced by Walt Disney Animation Studios and released by Walt Disney Pictures based on the novel by A.A. Milne, very famous. And here is a beautiful quote from E.R. And E.R., by the way, is a fictional character characterized as a pessimistic, gloomy, depressed, and hedonic, I don't even know what that word means, old gray stuffed donkey, who is a friend of the title character, Winnie the Pooh. And E.R.'s level of literacy, is unclear, but I don't think we care because this is a beautiful quote. A little consideration, a little thought for others makes all the difference. Ashley, I'm getting chills reading this quote. Help me out here. How'd you find this one? It's beautiful. Go ahead. Yeah, I think um, I've always just kind of stuck to uh, the classics. And of course, um, everybody knows Winnie the Pooh as like a childhood kind of story uh, growing up. So um, it kind of hit home in that regard. Um, but when it comes to, uh, you know, relating it to today's topic, I think you can relate it to, I think it can be tied into uh, personalization, which I think is a very key aspect uh, for all parts of marketing, but I think especially for email marketing. Um, and I think it's important for both uh, customers and organizations. So from the customer's point of view, I think when you receive an email that is Um, a little bit more personalized, more tailored to you, I think that ultimately results in kind of a better customer experience or a better relationship 
uh, with that brand. And I think from the organization's point of view, when you're sending something out that is more personalized, more tailored, you have a significantly higher chance of converting that customer. So there's really benefits for both. And I think the quote also relates to really thinking about others. And so really thinking about uh, putting your customers first in a very customer-centric and taking a very customer-centric approach to marketing and really thinking about, well, what kind of content are my customers interested in? Rather than thinking about what I want to send out into the world, think about what do they want to receive? What are they interested in? What are their needs? Um, and kind of how you can meet those with your email strategy. Um, and so I really think that a little personalization and a little thought for others can really make all the difference in your marketing efforts. Thank you very much. And and I will tell you that years ago, I was introduced to a concept when I was doing marketing for big banks. I was introduced to a concept called guerrilla marketing. I don't know if anybody of you remember. And the example I was given, which was very iconic, is if you take a toaster, kitchen toaster, put bread in, push the dial, press it down. How dark do you want? How crisp do you want it? Bagels, rolls, whatever it is. And the thought was, if you're a company that makes toasters, which ad would you put into? This is when companies were advertising in hard copy magazines. You're all kind of young to remember that, but I certainly do, and I'm not afraid to admit it. And so which ad would, would people relate to? You put an ad that says, we're the oldest toaster manufacturer in the country, and we have five different models, and we guarantee that when you plug it in, the electricity will go through the toaster and it will work. Or this ad, hey, we've got a busy family on the go, small kitchen space. You need something nutritious in their tummies before they go off to school, before they go off to work in the morning. That slice of whole wheat toast, we can guarantee it'll come out absolutely perfect every time in our toaster in 7.3 seconds. And you only need six square inches of space on your counter and the toaster cleans itself. Hey, mom, this is for you. Now, which ad would you pay attention to? We're the oldest toaster manufacturer or your family's busy, you want a piece of bread done right. It cleans itself. It doesn't take up much space. And we promise it'll only take seven seconds. So guerrilla marketing, you thought was, Ashley, exactly what you're talking about. What's in it for them? Not what do you want to say? In small print, you could say, we're the oldest toaster manufacturer and we listen to what companies need. I just went into backup mode here, but I think we're okay. Neil, you're, you're nodding here. Any comments on, on what I just shared? Anybody? No, I, I thought that was, that was a great idea, and it's it's always what's in it for me. And I was when you were talking, you know, email as as Ashley said, that that's a no brainer. But I think it goes beyond that. I even think of social media accounts that are managed by companies. It's not about what they want to promote on a daily basis. It's really about why are people following them? What sort of relationship do they want? And I like to look at everything in terms of relationship, including email marketing. I'm sure we'll get into that more. We sure will. Anybody else, any comments about the toaster? Does anybody have a cool toaster like that? And it comes in 12 colors. Lindsay? <laughs> I, I think it's a great analogy for how we're even approaching the evolution of, of marketing in general, but then thinking about the value proposition that companies really need to be able to sell their, to their consumers, right? Whatever that is, we are in an instant gratification world right now, especially everything being as digital as it has been over the last year. Companies that were brick and mortar, you know, really embracing more of a digital presence and considering, you know, how we can really change the game in that way. And going back to that idea of email really serving as a conduit in a much different way than it has in the past. And I think, you know, considering that toaster ad and, and what can it do for a busy family, I think it's really we should, something we should consider whenever we're thinking about email marketing. Thank you very much. Ashley, anything you want to chime in? Are you a fan of toast? <laughs> 
Yes, I am definitely a fan of toast. I don't know anybody that isn't a fan of toast. Um, but yeah, I think like Lindsay was saying, just really kind of adapting uh, your message to kind of what's going on and what's kind of current. And of course, uh, adding that personalization touch, I think uh, can be very impactful. Yep. And I'll take it in, in red, please. Okay. <laughs> My kitchen is, is mostly red. No surprise there. This is the part of the show where we're going to move into the discussion statements. My panelists have generously each sent me four statements, and these are going to be used by me as conversation starters. So I'll pick a statement. I'll let each person on the panel know. Neil Schaefer, you're up first. I've picked statement number one. I'll let you know in the chat. I'm going to read your statement, Neil, and then I'm going to ask you to unpack it, as they say on the news. So breaking news, we're presenting Neil statement number one. And then I'm going to go around the table. Lindsay, you are you are virtually sitting next to Neil, whether you know it or not, because we don't know what the Zoom screen looks like on, for each of us. And Lindsay, I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with Neil. Do not be afraid of disagreeing with him, please. He's, he's a very nice person. And then Ashley, you get to do double on this. I'll ask you to agree or disagree with Neil and or Lindsay. Then I'm going to pick a statement. Neil, I'll give you time to refute or rebut back to them if you have anything to say. No pressure. And then, Lindsay, I'll pick a statement from your list, and I'll let you know in the chat which one. And we'll go around the table, agree or disagree, and then Ashley, so everybody will get a turn to go first. Neil Schaefer, statement number one. There are only three ways to digitally engage with an audience. Search, email, and social. While social is the shiny new thing, and SEO and PPC, you're going to explain that to me, are the foundations of digital marketing. Email, listen up, everybody. Email has never been given the strategic importance it deserves. I don't know if these are fighting words or not. Neil Schaefer, I'm going to put you up, take about three minutes, unpack this, and then we'll go around the table. Go ahead, Neil. Sure. Well, thank you, Bonnie D. And th this is really the, I, I mentioned in my introduction, I'm an author and, and I'm actually working on my next book, uh, which is called Digital First. And it really comes from how brands responded to the pandemic. And when you think about it digitally, you know, if we're spending all this time online, what are we doing? Well, we're either on social media, we're still doing a lot of searches or we're reading email slash text. There's a lot of other things that we do, play games, what have you. But I think those are the three primary things we're doing. And therefore, if you break it down, just rationalize, well, how as a company do we uh, do we engage with people in each one of those channels? It, it does come down to those three channels. And when we think about digital marketing, obviously we have the social inside digital. Uh, the SEO PPC is really the website and making sure that it gets indexed by Google and appears in search results. This is search engine optimization. This is what we do organically. And then uh, from a paid media perspective, we have pay-per-click to make sure that if we don't appear organically, we at least appear in the advertisements for search results. And then we have email. And you know what's interesting is that with social media, if we juxtapose all these, you know, it's not your owned media. Uh, Social networks change all the time. I have 50,000 followers in Google+. Plus. What is that worth now, right? I was active on StumbleUpon. What is that worth now? I'm, I'm sort of going back here. Maybe some of you loved Dig back in the day. Uh, and, and that's the thing. And, and we've seen organic reach for brands, just um, that, that decline over time uh, for almost every social network. We have our website, which is our own media and SEO and pay-per-click. And that is something that companies continue to invest a lot in. And then in the middle, we, we have email, right? And you know, when I look at how businesses operate, you know, the social media, it's not really your owned media. The website, you have a lot of people that come and they just don't convert. 
they don't fill out that form or what have you. So email actually, when done right, with uh, in combination with what we'd call lead magnets, or give people a reason to continue a conversation with you, to develop a relationship with you, uh, find out ways to uh, acquire their email address or have them opt into your communication by providing them something of value. That is something you continue on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis or however you architect your email. Website, you know, they might find you on search today, they might not tomorrow, there's no guarantee they're gonna come back to your website. Similar to social media, email really is the glue that can help you, once again, develop a deeper relationship with them when done right over time and really, you know, be along the customer's journey, the buyer journey with them and navigate them and help them become your customer over time. Email is the glue. Interesting perspective. Lindsay D. Miles, you're up. Agree or disagree with Neil? Go ahead. I mean, I hate to be the ambivalent one where I'm like, I can see both sides. But I I do understand, Neil, your point about email being the glue. But I do think that with the there has to be some sort of systematic change with the way that people are thinking about the glue and what pieces they're gluing together. Um, I think, you know, like you were talking about web and social, social changing as frequently as it does. I mean, Google Plus. I mean, there are so many out there um, that are no longer relevant. Um, And then the same thing with web. And if you don't have a traffic strategy to your website, then it, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, yes, people can search you. But um, I do think that it's interesting thinking about the glue. I think it's just a matter of where you put the glue to to bring the, the strategy together. Interesting. Where you put the glue. Neil, I'll give you a chance to rebut after we hear from Ashley. Ashley Melendez, you're up. Talk to me. I I agree with Neil. I think um, like search email and social are very key. And then again, I would also add like paid media and web as other ways to digitally engage with with an audience. Um, And I really think uh, when it comes to a campaign, it really does take like collective effort of all of your, of your digital channels and kind of all of them working together in tandem. Um, I think email, you know, when you, you talked about social. So I think, um, comparing email to social um i've seen email have much higher conversions um and like a much higher order value than social media so i think in that regard it can be a little bit um significant like can can improve your sort of strategies over social um and i think what's what's important about email marketing which you kind of touched on is it's kind of outside an algorithm like you're not working with um like you are with social with an algorithm or with SEO. So I think in that, in that sense, you have a lot more versatility and more control um, over email marketing than some of your other digital channels. Interesting. Versatility and control. Good words there. We usually hear agility and resilience, but versatility and control important. Neil, this was your topic. Anything you'd like to say back to your co-panelists, Neil Schaefer. Yeah. I don't know where I came up with that word glue, um, but I- <laughs> It, I, I just think, you know, when comparing in terms of developing that relationship, especially because this is uh, sponsored by SAP, I'm assuming there's a lot of B2B marketers and business leaders that listen. It's about those multiple touches, right? It's about building trust and credibility over time. And with social and web, you just don't know when people are going to see what. With email, you you know, like I said, when done right, and Lindsay brought up a great point, you know, I'm, I'm trying to reimagine a, a, a ideal way of doing email marketing where you are developing that relationship. It really is unparalleled in terms of what you can do because you do have that control, as Ashley mentioned as well. Interesting. And as you're all speaking, I'm thinking email is like a phone call. It's going direct to a person. You're basically knocking on their digital door and saying, hello, I have a message for you. 
Do you want to pick up that phone? Do you want to answer it? Do you want to talk to me? Do you want to give me a reply? Email is that way. It's in an inbox. I've noticed that a lot of people are not answering emails. Uh, I have another radio show where I have a lot of creative people on, and I it's very hard for me to get them to answer at all. They're either busy or they know they're going to be on the show. They've made the commitment, and they don't feel the need to respond in the month in between the booking and the actual show, which is very frustrating. I notice that people are not accepting calendar invitations. It could be the overwhelm, the social digital overwhelm that's happened in the past year where most of our communications were digital, right? People weren't knocking on your real door. They weren't driving to your real house. They weren't meeting in the real office. It was all digital. There might might be an overload factor. But Neil, thank you for that conversation starter. That's what we like, something that's a little provocative and even controversial. I'm going with the glue. I still like that one. So I'm going to keep that in mind. Lindsay D. Miles. See, I'm using the D now. And Neil's been calling me Bonnie D, which I really appreciate. Lindsay D. Miles, I picked statement number two from you. Let's dive a little deeper into the personalization. I'm going to read just a little bit from your statement and let you unpack it. You say there are varying degrees of personalization, and it's up to you, the marketer, to determine which form will have the ROI, return on investment, you want. Lindsay, talk to me. I think personalization can be this elusive concept and almost intimidating to a lot of marketers because you have to think about which, how deep do you want to go? What what do you know about your audience? What segmentation strategies do you have? Do you know nothing? Are you a startup and you're just learning about your buyer personas or your customer personas? And so, you know, I've spent a great deal um, of time considering what level, what personalization really means. And I think there are, you know, you can go to the surface level where you have an email in your inbox and it says, hey, Lindsay saw this and thought about you right in the subject line. My immediate thought is, oh, this is for me. And I open it. Now, what I find in there, whether it's for me or not, uh, you know, that's that's up to the, the marketer or the seller. But, you know, I think it's that initial click. But then as you go deeper and you really study your audiences and you think about what kind of trigger emails do I need to include? Do we need to have, especially in, in nonprofit work and in higher education, we think about emails for milestones, you know, celebrating your first donation to the university or the nonprofit or celebrating your birthday or, you know, think about abandoned cart appeals. So as you kind of elongate your email marketing strategy, you're thinking about how deep of personalization do you want to go? And really, personalization is about relevancy. That's that's the point of all of this is creating relevance in the inbox for your user in order for them to convert and, you know, increase your bottom line, whatever that is. So, you know, when I think about personalization, I think about the multi it being multifaceted. Hmm. Thank you. I took a sip of water right at the wrong moment there, Lindsay. I want to respond to you. I'm sorry. Caught, caught with a metal straw in my mouth. Uh, Lindsay, very, very interesting about personalization. And the question is, we used to ask the question, do you want it to be personal or creepy? Right? How much are you supposed to know? And this works on social too. How much are you supposed to tell a person you know about them? Interesting. I watch a lot of detective shows on TV and they know way too much. The spies know way too much. Anyway, let's go around the table. Ashley Melendez, please agree or disagree, whichever part you want or both with what Lindsay D. Miles said. Ashley, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, personalization and I think I touched on it a little bit earlier as well is very important um, for just kind of your overall uh, customer experience experience and um, for staying relevant, like Lindsay mentioned, um, and really providing um, that value uh, to your customers, uh, making sure that it's personalized and they feel that there's consideration and thought 
was put into the content for them. I think uh, when you're kind of evaluating uh, sort of how deep to go with your personalization, I think it's important to keep in mind uh, when you're thinking about personalization, just a little level of caution with uh, how much you're trying to personalize and mm-hmm. not trying to go overboard. I'm sure we've uh, we've all seen it where companies are trying to be very personalized uh, with their audience and then they fail to do so. And then you get an email that's like completely off from, um, from that particular audience. So, you know, really considering... Um, not trying to do everything when it comes to personalization, but just those key aspects because you don't want to have a personalization fail and that can definitely hurt your brand and, um, you know, your marketing efforts. So just have that little level of caution, I think, when it comes to personalization. Great point about hurting brand. Yes, absolutely. Neil, you're the third on the round. Go ahead. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, I thought Lindsay and Ashley both made great points. Uh, agree, and I, I agree with Lindsay that personalization can seem uh, quite challenging for brands. You know, one of my clients, I like to really simplify things, right? So one of my clients is a hair color company. They have hair color for men and women. They're distinctly different products. They also have hair color for gray coverage, as well as hair color that are more like fashion colors, something that might, you know, maybe someone younger might want to, you know, different different colors. So because of these varying types of products they have, you know, you, you would probably want to speak in a different way to these different types of clients you have. They probably have different needs. And, you know, Ashley made a great point. We don't want to be too creepy, right? But we do know if they have bought one of these products and we see a trend in the products they buy, they probably fit into one of these categories, in which case you want to, you know, they're interested in different things uh, that, than someone else. So when you think about personalization in that way, you can see that, wow, you really want to say the right thing to the right person rather than try to be everything to everybody in which case people begin to tune out and, and, and not even open your emails anymore. Like, I, I'm not saying that's about your calendar invites, Bonnie D. I open them up right away. I always click yes. I you can't do. go to bed at night unless I click yes. But I, I think that's what happens over time if you're not personal enough with your email communication. Yeah, absolutely true. Yes, I still think people are busy and they're overwhelmed or they're just not, not going to do it anyway. Um, the hair color was a very good example. I would love to get an email from my salon that said, we know you had so much fun with your hair colorist four weeks ago when you come in and you just told her to go wild with the colors and the highlights and thank you for spending hundreds of dollars on our salon and we'd love to have you back for another fun experience and we're bringing the popcorn this time because we're going to video and make a movie out of you having fun with the foils and I would love to get an email like that from the salon rather than we're confirming your appointment we'll see you tomorrow at three that would be that would be a personalization that I would actually enjoy because it would mean that the stylist talked to the owner or the scheduler and said, hey, tell Bonnie we really enjoyed having her in and that we're looking forward to another great experience with her. That's something I I would like. So hair color, very personal to me. Lindsay, this was your topic, my dear. Why don't you go ahead and and respond back to Ashley and Neil, anything you'd like to say? Yeah, no, I totally uh, agree and and get where y'all are coming from where it comes, you know, to the level of personalization and and being creepy. You know, I mean, we can talk about something right now. Um, I got an ad for a company that I'd never search and I go on Instagram and there it is. And I'm like, oh, cool. I definitely think it is about, you know, the content that you're rendering. It doesn't have to be 
you know, everything in the email. I think that's what we struggle with sometimes um, with some of, you know, my team members and, and kind of how we're approaching email marketing is that it needs to be everything all the time. But if you split it out over time, that's still a level of personalization and a level of respect for your, your consumer. So you're not inundating them with information. So valid points. You know that I think there's a famous example where a company looked at somebody's buying pattern and sent an email to a woman and her email was her email was shared with her family and it said congratulations on your pregnancy we see you've been buying looking at cribs and whatever and her husband hadn't been told yet something like that or she wasn't pregnant at all and she was looking for somebody else and it created it, it's a famous example of email gone wrong too personal too many analytic threads that were linked together stitched into a, a conclusion that was not even correct caused a big a big oh what are you doing now so yes there are there are the danger points um, and then that brings the question of if you're a big company a big organization and you have mass email as part of of your strategy. How in the world do you personalize? How do you make it relevant without making a mistake along the way? Or Neil, is that part of the ROI, the cost of doing email business to all of you actually, that you might make that mistake and it could cost you a little blip on your brand value. It could cost you a, some bad publicity, which would go over into social Right, people saying, "Look what this company sent me!" Oh my, OMG! So th- there, there are. It's a slippery slope, I think, when you're doing it on a big. Because we know that companies with a hundred thousand employees, with with two million customers, are not going to sit down and actually send. Dear Ashley Melendez, we're so happy to know that you were on Changing the Game with Digital Engagement, and we love the way your lipstick was so sparkly on the Zoom video. And we'd like to offer you this trial of our whatever our our new gloss or something. Nobody's good. <laughs> do that but wouldn't it be nice maybe that would be I'm going nice. back into the creepy yes how much do they know about us speaking of which i'm going to go to ashley i'm looking at your statement number three i think this is a good segue that we just kind of tripped into here you say email marketing is one of the most trusted communication channels given the strict privacy laws for consent and data storage and i'm saying oh my oh my oh my really you say given the rigorous governance there is more of an onus for organizations to be transparent and honest in their communication. This is something we very seldom talk about. Ashley, please do a deep dive in this very interesting topic. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I think as we touched uh, earlier, email marketing, uh, or as you mentioned earlier, email marketing is one of the oldest uh, sort of communication channels. So I think that kind of plays into the trust, something that's kind of been around the block a few times. You know, it's very well known. Um, for organizations and customers. I think it's the only channel that has a very high level of governance around uh, marketing consent and data storage. And of course, we see that with uh, Castle uh, here in Canada, um, then CanSpam and GDPR. And as, as marketers, we all know there are very strict standards that must be met in order to be compliant with all of these uh, regulations and these laws, um, which of course can vary between implicit and explicit regions. And I think um, some of the regulations include, of course, having valid consent and providing record of how the consent was attained. Um, and also your level of compliance with these uh, regulations or these laws can actually really affect your sender reputation, uh, which of, co- of course results in the success of your email deliverability. 
So I think all together um, with the regulations and the fact that it does actually affect your email performance, I think that puts more of an onus on the organization to try and be more transparent uh, with their customers, Um, you know, in the sense that they have to provide an unsubscribe link, for example, you Mm -hmm. have to have your correct contact information. Um, You know, you have to be able to provide where you got the marketing consent from, you know, how, how did that come to be? Um, and so I think with all of the, the governance around that, um, and again, like I mentioned, how it impacts your success, I think that it could be considered more a more trusted channel as opposed to perhaps uh, social media. Thank you. Very interesting insights. I'm not going to say a word until we go around the panel. Neil Schaefer, you're sitting virtually next to Ashley Melinda. So go ahead, Neil. What's your POV on this? Agree or disagree, please? Yeah, well, I I agree. Those laws are definitely there where they don't necessarily exist for other medium. Um, What's interesting, though, is there's still a lot of entities that don't play by those rules, right? Uh, You know, entities that will offer you the ability to find email addresses and then set up these sequence emails. So maybe because, you know, I'm a podcaster, I'm a blogger, I tend to be on the receiving end of a lot of automated marketing communication that I never opted into. And uh, I, I do know that I have the option, you know, sometimes there's not even option to opt out where there should be. So I think if everybody played by the rules, I mean, I, I, I agree with Ashley and, and you know, there are a, a lot of uh, rules. I think that, you know, Canada, Europe being a little bit ahead of the United States, in California, we do have the CCPA, which is very, very similar. And because of that, I, I do think companies uh, have had to go overboard to say, hey, you know, this is how this is how we started this communication. You always have the ability to opt out. I, as a marketer, am always cognizant of that with every email that I send out. Um, but if more and more companies continue to break the rules, I fear that it might also break that trust. Like I said, I might be an anomaly because I, I'm a content creator. I tend to get a lot of those emails. Be interesting to hear what Lindsay has to say. Very interesting. Lindsay, you're up. You have been summoned by Mr. Schaefer. Go ahead, Lindsay D. Miles. You know, one of the things that I was thinking as you were talking, Ashley, was is email marketing the trusted channel or is it the brand reputation? And, you know, I'm not, I'm kind of of the mindset where I do understand with the security and, of course, with the governance that's there. I think it's the brand that it ultimately makes me feel comfortable and solid in who's sending me. If I'm unfamiliar with you, I immediately am untrusting of that because I don't know you. I don't know anything. Yes, I know I have a barrier of protection with my data, but I, you know, I'm just not aware of that. And I think when it, where it comes into play is who is sending the email and what is your affinity for that company or that organization. So, you know, I do think that there, the privacy laws allow for a level of stability and trust, but I think it's more about, I think the trust comes from the brand reputation rather than the channel. Very interesting comment. And and Neil, what you said about getting emails without an opt-out. Yes, I, I get those as well. Ashley, uh, I think there's a challenge here. Is it the brand? Is it the marketing strategy? What is it? Where does the trust come from? Where should the trust be? Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, Lindsay, you made a really excellent point when it comes to the brand. I think um, it definitely does affect your brand reputation. If you're constantly spamming your audience or you're, you know, you're, you're constantly getting flagged. Um, and again, that plays into email deliverability. So it's, if you want to be a legitimate business and you're constantly buying lists or, you know, getting consent when you don't necessarily have it or, or whatnot, um, you know, that really does impact 
uh, your brand as well as your performance. Thank you very much. Really good topic around the table. I'm enjoying what you've all sent me. Really good conversation starters. We have more time. I can't believe we got 12 minutes left to the show. So, Neil, I'm going back to you. And I like statement number four because it's a deep dive into the actual buying journey, which is the point of what we're talking about, digital engagement. So let me read this, Neil, and we'll go around the table after you unpack it for me. You say the challenge with email marketing is about understanding your customer's buying journey. And here's the Here's the meat on the, on the bones here. Being able to architect funnels, sequences, triggers, and automation. So the communication coming from your organization always seems, and we're going back to the, what we're talking about, personalized, timely, and invaluable. You didn't even mention relevant, invaluable. They need to have this. You have to have this. You have to open this and read this and do something. So, Neil, let's talk about the funnels, the triggers, and the automation. Interesting. Go ahead, Neil. Yeah, well, I'm excited here. I, I think Ashley mentioned she was a marketing automation consultant, so I know that she'll have a lot to, to add to this. But I think that when, you know, from a simplistic perspective, uh, someone buys our product, we can communicate with them. Or someone signed up, got the 10% off coupon or lead magnet, we can communicate. And I think that most companies miss out on the opportunity that, hey, probably no one is going to buy overnight. As I mentioned before, it requires several touches usually to build up that trust and convert a prospect into a client. So what, how can we help navigate? How can we help push them uh, or, or, you know, hold their hand on the buyer's journey, providing them information that they would need to make a, a more informed decision? What is the timing that we do that? What are the triggers? And so, you know, email marketing software today does allow you to architect uh, a, a complete map of, well, this is the journey and this is the, the the frequency or these are the times that we would like to really push forward uh, this communication, provide them this relevant or invaluable information. Obviously, there's a science to this and there's an art to it, right? Because we can only architect the timing, for instance, uh, based on what we think is their timing or based on certain triggers. So if they come back to our website and they come to our pricing page, and they haven't converted yet, well, they're, you know, they're probably researching us. Or if they come to our customer testimonial page for you know, or reading product reviews on our website and, and we do have the cookies and we are able to see that and our email marketing software is able to tag them in that way, we can sort of see their activity and assume that they might be in, in one stage or another. So these are the, uh, the, the concepts and the ideas. For every company, it's obviously going to be very, very different. But the more information that we glean based on their activities, and some of those activities come from our website, some might come from what emails they open, what things they click on, we can begin to really you know, automate and, and, and scale this in a way so that we do our best, right? to try to send them uh, the right information at the right time to help convert them uh, earlier rather than later. So I, I know it's a very general concept. There's actually a lot of depth and complexity to go into it, but that's really the, uh, the potential, I think, for any business listening is to do that for all of their own customers' journeys, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and really try to figure out how to continue and deepen that conversation, not just a one-time or, hey, we'll keep you up to date on a weekly, monthly basis, but really try to do something uh, with a little bit more complexity that I think ultimately offers more value to the potential customer. Thank you. And, and really what it boils down to, I tend to shy away from the word customer, it's people. 
You're talking to a person. You want them to be a customer. You want them to be loyal. You want them to become your evangelist, your brand advocate, your loyal returning customer. You want them to spend money and social creds on your behalf. But it's, it's just a person. That's, that's all we're really talking to. So let's go around the table. We have time for comments. Lindsay D. Miles, what do you think about what Neil shared? Go ahead. You know, I think that's great. I mean, marketing automation is something that I know more and more companies are embracing to help not only with the manpower, but also with the strategy. I think the challenge with many organizations is how do you, where do you start? You know, uh, how, how do you start? How do you learn? Where, where are the interconnections? And even for the organization that I'm in, we're trying to stand up a, a marketing email platform that has automation built in. And we're really, you know, want to do it right the first time. So you don't have these faux pas of, oh, you, I'm not pregnant, but you're telling me that you think I'm pregnant. Cool. Can't wait to <laughs> go work out. Um, you know, like there are a lot of things that I think people, uh, marketers need to consider when you're thinking about automation. But I think, you know, to your point, it's going to be very powerful for us moving forward and really to be able to bring together the different channels um, for, for the, the person, like you said, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Ashley Melendez, thoughts, please. Interesting topic. Go ahead. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely a lot easier said than done, um, both working from the uh, as a consultant, so having that lens, but also working um, in an organization with consultants and trying to work with an already established marketing automation system. Um, so I think it can definitely take time to understand uh, your customer's buying journey. And I think you also have to really differentiate between like if you have B2B cycles and B2C cycles and kind of the differences there. I mean, some buying cycles can be years long, right? Like in, in some of the B2B spaces. Um, but I also think the most important part here is to really establish your short-term play versus your long-term play. So your short-term play may be more about like the earlier stages in the buyer's journey. So really about educating your customers that maybe they have a problem and this is how you can solve it. Um, and so getting into the consideration stage um, and then again, working later on to the long-term play, which would, which would be to really drive um, that, that purchase and, and really see the ROI. So really focusing on like what you're going to do in the time now, but then also what is going to be that longer strategy. Thank you very much. And guess what? I'm going to really squeeze in one more topic here because I think this is important. Lindsay's smiling. I just texted her in the chat. Let's go to your statement number four. If you can keep it to two minutes, we'll have time for a quick response from Neil and from Ashley. And the comment is, make it easy for your customer to make a decision for the people you want to be your customer. Clear call to action is the easiest way. Tell the reader what they expect, when they expect, when they click a link. Reduce the use of of learn more and read more. Be descriptive when they click that button. They don't have to look around for buy now. And boy, do I have to search for buy now. A return to, right? Go to your shopping cart or return to continue shopping. It ain't always easy, kids. Lindsay, talk to me. Go ahead, briefly. You know, I think decision fatigue is real. And I think we talked about it before in this discussion about um, presenting too many options in an email. I think it's easy for us to say, we want to give them the option to make a, you know, purchase now and then also learn about us and then also follow us on social media. And all of these calls to action, the idea behind this is, is that you tell the audience, the customer, the person, what you want them to do and what they can expect whenever they're going to click on this link. If I'm going to go to a landing page that's going to be about pricing, um, to your example earlier, Neil, I want to know that before I click. I don't want to have to click and then find out that I'm on the homepage and then I have to go search. 
deliver the customer where you want them to be and then let them know where you're taking them. This is a journey. This is not, you know, every person fending for themselves. So really at the end of the day, it's just about making it clear um, to your customer where they are going to go when they click on that button in your email. Thank you very much. Quick story before. Well, let me go around the table and I'll finish with my story. Um, Ashley, you're next to Lindsay. Go ahead. What do you think? Ashley Melendez. Yeah, I think um, part of making it easy for a customer really feeds into kind of that ultimate customer experience and Mm -hmm. um, that brand reputation. So I think it is extremely, extremely important. Um, Some of the kind of things that I kind of practice when it comes to emails is sort of doing like the blink test. So, you know, with you close your eyes and we know within the first three to five seconds, like where does your eye gravitate? And typically where your eye goes is kind of where your customer will go and making the call to action very clear. Also kind of working um, like an inverted pyramid design. So you have up the top your headline and, you know, you want to grab their attention and then you kind of feed into um, the call to action at the bottom. Um, and I agree, Lindsay, what you were saying is making sure that your call to actions are very descriptive. And not only are they easy to find in your email, but your customer knows exactly what they're sort of getting into when they click on it. You know, is it going to be, you know, don't tell me just learn more, like learn more about what or learn more from from where. So, you know, I love using description. So, you know, download a white paper, for example, or um, one of the things I've been doing uh, with writing emails is um, when when it comes to videos and of course this example you can only use it in some uh, regards but adding the length of the video so for example um, watch 60 second interview watch you know three minute video and that kind of gives your customers what is sort of expected out of them from a time uh, and also um, kind of the importance as well so I think um, making it easier for your customer is always better and less is more, I think, um, in an email as well. And you definitely don't want to bombard your customers with like five or six call to actions. I think it's better to stick to about one or two and make it very deliberate um, and very personalized as well. Neil, you got uh, 30 seconds to respond here. What's your thought on this, Neil? Yeah, no, I agree with everything that's been said. There was a a famous web design book called Don't Make Me Think. And I think it's the same way with email. You're, you know, you're calling up a friend. What is it you want to ask them? What is it that, you know, what what favor do you want them to do for you? So I think with every email, what is the singular thing that you want them to do? It should be very, very clear. You know, early on in my digital marketing career, when I was building my own list and I hadn't communicated in a while, I sent out an email saying, hey, I know I haven't communicated in a while. This is, you know, this is how, uh, why I'm communicating with you today. If you don't want to hear from me, please unsubscribe. I really put that near the top of the email. So mm-hmm. guess what happened? I got a lot of unsubscriptions, right? So be very clear, be strategic with that call to action. But um, yeah, when you have two, three, four calls to action, every one of those is diluted in value by half, third, or fourth. So try to be very clear and singular uh, would be my advice. Thank you. Very interesting. Quick, quick comment. I bought it. My family does gift certificates online. We have lists and they love gift certificates. My grandchildren, my kids, it's just the way it is. Went on a website, ordered a gift certificate for a relative. It was his birthday. It was his day. It was my son-in-law. And this is where he wanted me to buy it. And I did. And I got a note. It will be delivered as soon as possible. Well, I checked with him. Look Look in your email for whatever it was. He didn't get it. 
for 12 hours, for 24 hours. I had to go on the chat on the website and say, what's the problem? They said, we hold all purchases done with a credit card for 48 hours to make sure that the funds are there. I said, it's a credit card. It, this is a major retailer that you would walk into any one of their diff- four or five brand stores all linked together. I buy from all of them. I had to wait three days for that gift card to be delivered because they were putting a hold on it because it was on a major MasterCard or a Visa. I have never heard of anything. And the email, I got the email said, thank you for your purchase. It will be delivered soon. And there was no, I have never in my life been told they're waiting to confirm payment on a credit card. Veet, 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 I got to go. Thank you all to Aaron, Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire at Voice America. Everybody say thank you, Aaron. Thank you to our newcomer to the to the show, Sylvie Lexo. She spells her name L-E-X-O-W. She's working with Kristen Boyleau, who is a sponsor. And Sylvie will be working with me on future panels. And I want to say to the three of you, Neil, Lindsay, and Ashley, Right at the top, you raise the bar for great panelists. I appreciate who you are, how engaging you are, and all the great information you shared. Bonnie DeGram signing off. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting a month to the gallon now. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Neil Schaefer, just like Lindsay Dumiles, just like Ashley Melendez. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Digital Engagement, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again, Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.